I've been talking a lot about walking with the Lord or walking in the light or walking in the Spirit <clears throat> last uh, few months, I guess. Um, just kind of sharing what's on my heart about those things. And I, I honestly don't feel any real... I was praying about this this morning. I don't really feel any real desire or pressure to move <clears throat> um, to move on or to move faster. And I also feel sometimes like just circling around some of these things and even repeating the same things um, just so that they sink into our hearts. I don't, I don't know anything more important or more practical than the, the kinds of things we've been talking about when it, when it comes to walking with the spirit. It's, it's easy to, there's a lot of people that are interested in spiritual knowledge or spiritual revelation uh, that word is becoming increasingly popular, revelation, in, in the church, in different circles, different places. And the, the desire to learn things, to, to learn truth without living in the truth and being conformed to the truth seems to be uh, incredibly common and popular. And I... I say that just because I'm intentionally and desiring for us not to do that. I don't want to um, cover a lot of ground, so to speak. I don't want to. I don't want to be a mile wide and an inch deep, you know, in any of these things. I want to be a mile deep, and, and even if we're only ever an inch wide, that's to me that's so much better. If, if the truth of Christ becomes the reigning experience of our hearts, then we've gone somewhere. Even if we've circled around the same uh, points or same realities for a long time. You can tell in Jesus's or in the, in, in the Lord's dealings with Israel in the wilderness that it wasn't his objective just to take them as fast as they possibly could <clears throat> across the wilderness and throw them into the, the promised land. The, the actual journey was dependent upon their willingness to become what he was trying to make them into. Remember, he, he reached into Egypt with an outstretched hand. He bore his arm and, and reached in, so to speak, into their darkness, their slavery, their their hopeless condition of bondage under Pharaoh, and then and, and grab them out, as it says, we looked at that verse in uh, Exodus 19, for he raised them up on eagles' wings and brought them to himself. And then he said, and now, if you will walk in my covenant, if you'll listen to my voice, then I will make you a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. And that's really, a lot of times, uh, we stop right there. We we stop with in our Christianity. We stop with just celebrating what God did in order to make provision for us to become a holy nation or a kingdom of priests, so to speak. We 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 celebrate what the Lord has done for us outwardly. At the same time that we resist unknowingly often. Um, although there's always a, a witness in our hearts telling us these things. 
if we're willing to listen. But we, we celebrate and sing about and talk about and study and learn systematic theology about the many things that God has done for us outwardly through the work of Christ. And at the same time, we live our lives resisting the inward work of the same Christ, the same, the same one who opened the door, the same one who became the lamb, the same one who shook Egypt with judgments, that same one now uh, is, is sown like a seed into the heart of man. And while we talk so much about his outward accomplishments, we very infrequently allow him to do much at all in our, in our own hearts, to conform us to that nature that he is. And so that's just why I want to, I, I just feel like sticking right here and, and continuing to talk about walking with him, walking in his spirit, what his spirit does in us. What, it, what, are the, what, what should one expect uh, when, when we begin to give up to and surrender our hearts, our minds, our, our time to the spirit that has been given to us? What what is the journey like? What what do we experience in that journey? And <clears throat> there's so much that could be said about this. Um, to be totally honest, I don't even remember what I say in this meeting because I have other meetings too that I do, and I don't remember what I say in what what meeting. But just to kind of maybe review some things I think we've talked about, the Lord brings us out. Um, does everything possible, does everything needful and everything possible to bring us out of a hopeless condition of bondage under Pharaoh and slavery to sin and death. He, he opens that door. He provides that sacrifice. He strikes the firstborn, that is to say the, 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 the nature of flesh, he brings, he divides the sea, he parts the veil, and he brings us out and he deposits us into Christ. And Christ depositing us into Christ, not just as a static position, not, not, as, a, not as a legal transaction, not as a club that we've joined, but as a living, dynamic person in whom we now must learn to walk and live. If you don't, if, if, if the Lord puts you in Christ or, or, or gives Christ to you or puts his spirit in you, that you could say it both ways, then the, the thing that we must do is learn to, um, there's a lot of ways to say it, but you, we must actually come to share the nature of the one that we've been placed into. Or you could say, if Christ has been placed in us, then Christ has to, has to fill us. Christ has to be formed in us. Christ has to take the ground, has to remove all the uncircumcised Philistine cities in the land of our heart. It's not right and it's not true to stop with. It's not, it doesn't, you know, it's like, this image just popped in my head. It's like if you get a splinter, I don't know if this is going to work, but you know, it goes into your body. But as long as it has a foreign, as long as it's like a foreign presence and doesn't share the life of your body, doesn't share the uh, nature of your body, then your, your body begins to reject it. 
you begin to kind of have an infect. It begins to kind of like feel like it's in a, it's an infection. It doesn't actually unite with um, with that life. And that's in a sense, in a weird kind of sense, I guess you could say, when God put Israel into that covenant, in the old covenant, what he began to manifest to them by his light, by his law, by his truth that he was teaching them was that there were so many things in them, even though he had brought them to himself and put them in that covenant, there were so many things in them that were contrary to the one that they'd been placed into. There was leprosy. There were sores, there was sin, transgression, there was uncleanness, there was covenant breaking of every kind. And so the Lord began to do a work in them that had been brought in to him to make them share one life, one nature, one light. And so that... And he, he uses this language so that they're not spit out of his mouth. Remember when he brings them into the land and tells them to walk, be so careful to walk, into, walk in the covenant, to walk according to the law that they had received. Otherwise, he says, the land is going to vomit you out. Jesus says something very similar to that in, in the, his letters to the churches in the begin, beginning of Revelation. He, he says he threatens something about spitting them or vomiting them out of his mouth. What's, what's that about? Well, again, the Lord puts us into Christ, not as a static dead position, not as a club, not as a I'm in, are you in kind of thing. He puts us into Christ as a living, operating, moving, changing, transforming, teaching uh, relationship with a, with a living spirit, a living power that has a living light that exposes everything that's contrary to the life that we've been brought into. And that's what begins to happen when, when, a, when a heart, at least that's one of the things that we've been trying to talk about, um, that begins to happen when a heart is brought, brought into Christ. People say the sinner's prayer, or they, they, they accept Christ in their life, and they, they think that, that it's over. They think that they're ready. That's just the beginning of a, what should be just the beginning of a living, operative, powerful relationship with a nature that is either going to conform you to it or you're eventually going to not find any place in it. And that is exactly what you see happening again. We always go back to the types and shadows and pictures and figures and symbols of the Old Testament, to, which is where God drew these things out with, with uh, incredible clarity in the Old Testament. When Israel would not walk in covenant with him, how many times did he say to them? If you read through Deuteronomy, Numbers, Deuteronomy, read through Jeremiah, Isaiah, if you would only walk with me in my covenant, it will go well with you. I'll defeat your enemies. I'll cleanse you. I'll forget your your sins from the past. I'll transform your land. You know, if you'll only walk with me in covenant. If you don't, then I just read, um, I think it's at the end of Numbers. He talks about, um, he, just, he says, these, like, I will, 
your, your, your sins will bring upon you a sevenfold curse. And then he says, and then a sevenfold more curse. And he goes to this list of you will flee when no one is chasing you. And, and, and he says, you will be taken into foreign lands where you will long to, to see the, the land that I've brought you into. And you will, you're, you will have wasting diseases upon you that I showed you in Egypt and that you saw in Egypt. And he just gives these long lists of things. All of them, not, not God just arbitrarily punishing. They're just the results of what happens when we're inwardly, when we inwardly remain in a state or in a nature that's contrary to the one that we've been put in. Jared mentioned a couple weeks ago in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 how, how God reconciles us to him and how he does everything conceivably possible to reconcile the world to himself in Christ. And then... It says he puts in us the word of reconciliation. That living word of reconciliation and cries out, now be reconciled unto God. And that's, that's what I'm talking about. So God reaches into our Egypt, our inward Egypt, brings us out from a hopeless state of bondage to an inward Pharaoh who we cannot by our own power cease to serve and never find, never make the quota of bricks. It's a hopeless situation. The Lord enters into it. He breaks that power. He makes a way out through his own blood. He gives us the life of his firstborn and brings us out into it. And that life is a covenant. Isaiah 42, I will give you, speaking to Christ, as a covenant to my peoples, as a light to the nations. And he puts us in that light and sets us down and says, now, if you will, keep my covenant, if you'll walk in the law of my covenant, then I'll do everything. Here's your job. Walk in the covenant. Walk in the light. Abide in the light. Submit everything in you to what this light teaches, to what this light does in you. Don't rebel against this light. Let it show you your sores. Let it show you your leprosy. Let it show you your impurity, the emissions, the things that come out of your flesh, the things that grow on your flesh. Let it, sh- let it show you all of that. Let it make you put your hand over your mouth and cry out in Leviticus 13, unclean, unclean. Let it show you how uncleanness separates you from God. Uh, Makes me think of Isaiah 59, verse 2. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. He's speaking to the people that are in covenant with him here. Your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. That's what happens when... And this will happen to every single one of us if we're willing to not just turn our back on the fact that though we've been brought near to him, 
or that's maybe, though we've been brought into him, we need to draw near to him. <coughs> and I can, see, I can see someone objecting to that and saying, no, no, we're already near to him. Well, in a sense, that's true. But that doesn't mean, and I don't know the perfect way to say this. I, I know that I can, I can point you to a bunch of New Testament Bible verses that talk about the necessity of drawing near to him written to those who are already Christians. But I think you could say that you, those who are brought into covenant with him still have to draw near to him. They have to come to an experience of his nearness. Because as long as we retain things in us, as long as there are things still living in our heart, in our mind, things of a contrary nature, then we're not going to, those things keep us, as, as that verse just said, they separate you from your God. They cause you to have him hide his face from you. And they present to you a continual danger that if you won't relinquish those things to his light, to his power, they will eventually draw you away. Everything that the Lord points out in your life, in your heart, everything in you that is of a different nature and source than him has to be surrendered over to the cross. In the Old Testament, it had to be brought to the altar, the brazen altar, where it was consumed and destroyed and removed. In the, new, in the new covenant, it has to be brought to the daily cross of Christ. If it isn't, it, it is a thorn in your side. It, it is an infection. It is something that will continually pull you in a different direction until it either overcomes you or until the cross is allowed to overcome it. And I've seen that happen with so many people. I, I think a lot of us here have where people begin to see that light, right? You guys have seen this. They begin to awaken to that light that shows them their hearts, that begins to make them see and, and feel how different Christ is from what they thought, how different he is from what they are in the flesh. They begin to see and to feel that division, and yet, and, and they happily begin to surrender some things to his light, some things to his cross. The light always brings you to the cross. The light always takes the things it exposes and points you to the cross. But wherever we resist, then wherever it shows us something that we cling to, that we hold on to, that we're not willing to go put on that altar, that we're not willing to to be, have separated from us, then that thing becomes like a, um, what's the word? It becomes like a, um, something that's going to compel us or, or drive us right outside of that, those, the, that life. It's going, if we're holding on to something that is not life, then life will keep moving towards the promised land, and we will eventually stay behind with that thing. I used to give an analogy years ago of a, uh, of a person, this is 
<clears throat> this might work, I don't know, <clears throat> of a person like walking through uh, a, a woods with tons of trees and brambles and vines carrying an anchor and the anchor is attached to a bungee cord and the bungee cord's wrapped around his waist. And it's like whenever we, wherever we are not willing to part with something that the light, um, that the light makes manifest, there we drop the anchor. And we, it's like we, you don't notice it right away. You keep walking as the bungee cord gets tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter. But sooner or later, that thing that you're not willing to let go of snaps you right back to where, where you dropped it. And it's, it's like that in our, in our journey with him. There's a, a great need to let everything that that light makes manifest be removed by the power that is in that light. Something that George Fox said a lot. The very light that shows you your sin has the power to remove it and nothing else does. And so going back to what I was saying, even though it maybe sounds a little weird, we need to draw near to the one that we are in. If you read in the New Testament, there's a whole bunch of verses that actually talk about that. There's several in there's several in Hebrews, three or four, I think, in Hebrews. There's one in James. Maybe I'll look at those here. But the drawing near, before I maybe look at those verses, drawing near to God. I remember when I was younger, I thought, I objected against that whole, I don't know how I ignored the scriptures very much, but I, I objected against that concept because I remember thinking to myself, how do you draw near to a God that you're already, that you're already in covenant with. He's already there. Christ is in you. You know, the hope of glory. How do you draw near? Well, it has nothing to do with physical proximity. God is God is in every place. The psalmist says, if I go up to heaven, he is there. If I make my bed in Sheol, he is there. Jeremiah says that he fills the heavens and the earth. That's what Solomon said, the same thing. He says, how, how, how can I build a temple for you? You fill heaven and earth. Well, he's everywhere. But that does not mean that we are walking in a real nearness to him because that nearness that Hebrews and James are talking about has to do, again, with having nothing in me that is operating as an obstacle or a hindrance or a separation that keeps me from experiencing him. Walking in a nearness to Christ has to do with having that which is contrary to him in, in thought, in nature, in desire. Everything that doesn't come, comes from a, from a different life, a different source, a different nature, removed. So that the, the one that we are in becomes the becomes the one that we're experiencing in all things. I don't know if you ever thought about this with Israel. I'm going to get to these verses here in a second, but he, he brought them in to this relationship. He put them, put them down inside of a, a covenant. And then he, he started to teach them by his law 
all of these things that were so contrary to him. That's what, that's what he did. He, he, he brings them in in, in Exodus. He has them build this tabernacle where he can dwell in the midst of them. He establishes his law. And then you start reading in Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. And it seems a little bit strange. You, you think that right away they would start conquering kingdoms and establishing kings. And the very first thing that God begins to do to them is he says, uh, he, he gives them his, his law and he begins to expose things in the camp that are not him, that are unclean, that are impure. And there's chapter after <laughs> chapter after chapter after chapter of, of teaching Israel how to draw near to him in the same purity and nature that... Um, that he has. In fact, there's a there's a story, and you're all familiar with it, I'm sure. But there's a story in uh, the very beginning of of that journey where the two sons of um, Aaron try to draw near to God or come close to God with uh, strange fire, with something in them or of them that doesn't share that nature, and the Lord consumes them. And then the Lord, right after that, he says, let's see, where is it? Um, he says, now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron <clears throat> when they offered profane fire before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at just any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat, which is on the ark, lest he die. For I will appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. So don't just come in any way that you want or in any time that you want. Thus Aaron shall come into the holy place with the blood of a young bull as a sin offering and of a ram as a burnt offering. And he shall put the holy linen tunic and the linen trousers on his body. And he shall be girded with a linen sash and with the linen turban, he shall be attired. These are his holy garments. Therefore, he shall wash his body in water and put them on. And he goes on to describe uh, more about that. But the, the point is that the way to draw near, you can't just do it whenever you want or however you want, at, at whatever time or in any, any conceivable way that your imagination can, can conceive. The way to draw near to him is with, first of all, a death to sin and flesh, an offering. Second of all, being clothed from head to, uh, to toe with white linen, completely covering you. And that picture is what we see the fulfillment of in Hebrews chapter 10. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way. Now, he, he's addressing this to brethren, okay? This is probably Paul writing to the church. 
um, talking to brethren that have boldness now to enter into the holiest place, enter into that living experiential union with a living God by, verse 20, a new and living way which he has consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. He tore open the way by allowing him to be torn open in his flesh. And having a high priest now over the house of God, let us draw near. Those who are already brethren, let us now draw near. How? With a true heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That's, that is exactly what I'm trying to say. That the way to draw near, Christ opened up the veil. He, his flesh was that veil. It was, it was torn open by his death. He did all that was necessary to make a new and living way to draw near to God. But the experience for these brethren, these already believers in Jesus Christ, of experiencing that union, that, that life and nature that's behind the veil, that presence, that power, that experience of, of righteousness and purity, and holiness has to be entered into. We have to draw near. And how do we draw near? Again, not anything having to do with physical proximity. It's not going to a building. It's not getting down on your knees. It's not an act of the body. It is by allowing the power of Jesus Christ to make us share the very same nature that is behind that veil. It's removing everything in us that is of a different nature, a different kind, a, a different birth. It's removing from our hearts that birth of Egypt. Everything that was born in Egypt had to fall in the wilderness. That's what he's talking about here. Let, here's how you draw near. You share his nature. And why do you share his nature? You let his light, first of all, show you, he's brought you into that circle, a circle that is Christ, a circle that is a covenant, a covenant that is light and life. He warns, he teaches you the nature of that covenant by writing his law on your hearts. And he shows you by his light, the things in you that are not of that nature. Again, we've talked about this before, but that's why there's so much in Leviticus that talks about how everything that comes out of the flesh makes you unclean. He couldn't have made that more clear than by giving you chapter after chapter after chapter of talking about every conceivable thing that can come out of a human body or grow on a human body that comes out from flesh and makes us unclean. What is he saying? He's not talking about physical health. He's talking about a nature, a birth, the first birth, the natural man. That which is of flesh is flesh. That which is of spirit is spirit. I brought you into a spiritual covenant. Now let me put to death in you the flesh. 
I've died and been buried and rose again. I've given you a seed of my own nature. Now let me be born in you and grow and put to death in you everything in you that is flesh. Let me do inwardly in you what I did outwardly in me. Don't just sing about and talk about and preach about and and study about what I did outwardly. Let me do in you what I did in me by by my own spirit, by my own power. And how, how does that happen? Well, it starts with light. He, be, he puts a light over his tabernacle. He puts a fire over his tabernacle. He says, keep your eye on it. Don't turn away from it. What's the tabernacle? It's where he dwells. Turn towards it. That's what Solomon was saying in the dedication of the temple. Keep your eyes turned towards this place where I dwell. And if you sin, turn back to this place and repent. And if you're far away in a far distant land, under the power of your enemies, turn back to the place where he dwells. Turn inward. Turn towards the place where God lives and moves and convicts and teaches and shows the leprosy and exposes the uncleanness. Turn back. Well, why do you do that? Because only only by seeing in his light what is of him and what is not of him Will you have the opportunity, as the Israelites did, to then bring your flesh to that altar, show it to the high priest, and let him cut off its head? That's what Christianity is in terms of drawing near to the Lord. It's walking in a light that shows you what isn't of that light so that you can see it, not hide from it, not not run from it, not like Jesus says, remain in the darkness because the light exposes our darkness. It exposes that our deeds are evil. It's a light that shows you what is not Christ in you, not so that you can live in condemnation, but so that you can offer that to be destroyed and come out of the condemnation. People say, you're not supposed to feel condemnation in Christ. You, you are if you're living in the flesh in Christ. That nature is always condemned. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. But if you walk in that flesh, there's good news. There's a light that will show you Everything in your heart, in, your, in the way you live, the way you think, the way you desire, the way you spend your time, the things you do on your phone and your computer, the way you relate to your wife and your friends, the way, the way you involve yourself in the world, the way you involve yourself in everything. There's a light. Lord, I don't know what's in me. That's not you. Good news for everyone that's thinking that. There's a light. It's Christ. I will give you as a covenant and as a light to the nations. And that's what God did. He knew that we couldn't, A, provide the power to come out of anything, B, cleanse ourselves of anything, and C, even see in ourselves what needs to be cleansed. What did he do about that? He gave us, in one gift, the answer to all three of those problems. He gave us a new, a new life a new covenant, and a light that would teach us everything and let us draw near to God. Now, it's the most foolish thing that you could possibly do to begin to believe in Christ and follow Christ 
And, and as soon as you begin to walk into the wilderness to follow him, say that you've already arrived and that God doesn't see the things that are in you anymore that are contrary to him. When the very first thing that he did to Israel was to begin to show them everything in their grumbling hearts that was not him in their murmuring hearts, in their appetites that were for flesh, in their, in their calf-making religious ideas that were not according to his truth. It's the, it's the silliest thing you could possibly do to come across that Red Sea and then say that I have arrived and now God only sees in me Jesus Christ. That's just not true. God sees you as you are. And, and, and that's not so that he can condemn you. It's so that he could take you out from what you are. And let me just repeat it again, just to let it sink a little deeper. How does he do it? What does he do? He gives you a light and says, I am the light of the world. If you walk in me, you won't stumble. You can't work when there's no light. The night is coming. You better look out. Because in the night, nobody can work. Nobody can cooperate with the grace of God. Nobody can yield to that light. <clears throat> but while you have the light, walk in the light. And if you walk in the light as I am in the light, you'll have fellowship with me. And my blood will cleanse you. My power will free you and purify you. That's what walking in the covenant is. It's allowing God first to discover and then to remove by that same light that discovers all that is in our hearts and minds that is contrary to him. Probably out of time, but let me just show a couple more verses about this, drawing near to, to God. There's one in Hebrews chapter seven, verse, verse 19. <clears throat> we'll start in verse 18. For on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. That He's talking about the, the, the old covenant law. The old covenant law didn't have didn't have power in it. It had it had the power to expose flesh, but it didn't really have the power to remove flesh. It could only paint pictures of the removal of flesh through the blood of bulls and goats. Okay, it didn't really actually change the nature of the ones who were who were, who were approaching unto God. It just kind of drew a picture of it and said, "Look, look, this is what needs to happen: a death." In this covenant, I'll show you that death on that bull, and I'll show you on that goat and those two turtle doves. But, but I can't actually take it out of your heart in, in this, by this covenant. There's a, there's, a, there's a weakness involved in this covenant. It's outward. It's pictures. It's types and shadows. On the one hand, there's an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope hope, a better expectation. I thought that I already was there. I thought I already arrived. No, you've come to a living hope. First Peter, you have been born again, maybe it's second Peter. You've been born again into a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He's brought in a better hope, a hope that actually can do the thing that the law pointed to. And what does it do? Well, it brings in a better hope through which we draw near to God. We, Christians, believers. James chapter four. 
yeah, <clears throat> same similar context, slightly different words. Therefore, submit to God. Verse seven, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. How? Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. How do you, how do you draw near? Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your heart. Obviously, that's not a, people read that and say, I can't do that. Of course you can't do that. But there's a power that's given to man that can. And you can obey it. You can submit to it. You can love its appearing. You can follow its light. You can walk in that light as he is in the light. And if you do, then the one who was given to you as a covenant and as a light, the one that you're laying your life down on the altar every day, presenting it before him as a living sacrifice, he can. That is how Romans uh, 8 13, you put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit. That is, 1 Peter 1, 22, that is how you purify your hearts through obedience to the truth unto pure love. All right, I'm going to stop.